Father, we give you praise. Father, we worship you. Father, we honor you because you are faithful, wonderful, and kind. Blessed be your name, Daddy. In Jesus' name we pray. Today, Lord, we thank you that your word will come out beautifully as water to a thirsty soul. Pray that your word will come out this morning as an, as an oasis in the desert land. That your word will come out simply as words that even a child can understand. Speak to us. Teach us. Help us to understand what you are saying in the name of Jesus. Today I pray, Almighty God, that you walk on my vocal cords and my delivery style in such a way as to encourage someone to follow through and take action and understand what you have done for us. Father, we give you praise. We thank you. Glorify yourself and edify your people. In Jesus' name, we pray. Welcome to church. Today, I'm going to continue part two of the message that I started last week called The Great Deception and How to Overcome It. If you remember last week, I did I started the background using John chapter 8 verse 44 when I said that Jesus Christ called the devil the father of lies. That when the devil opens his mouth to speak, the words that come out of his mouth is full of lies. So if the devil is telling you this is a river, and you could see that river, be rest assured that the reason why he's telling you there's a river there, that, that the words you've spoken to you, the statement is made to you, is filled with lies. You might see the river truly, but there's something behind it. Jesus Christ said, the devil cannot stand in the truth because the truth is not in him. Essentially, truth cannot be found in the devil. So when we start talking about the great deception, I introduce the concept of what happened uh, in the garden in the garden of eden when eve was deceived and i try to use that as an example to try and explain that the strategy that the devil used to win in the beginning to steal from adam the rulership of this earth that um, strategy has not changed and i said why change a winning formula Watching you win the formula. The Bible says that the devil came in into the garden and tricked the woman. Tricked the woman. But why did we call it the great deception? The greatest deception in this life is any lie perpetuated to steal, quote unquote, steal your identity in Christ. Last week I did mention. That the devil spins lies to make us to doubt the character of God. To make us to doubt the word of God. To make us to think that what God said doesn't matter. That what God said can be trifled upon. And he uses the same word but misquote it or misrepresent it or disregard it. These words are presented to us, and if we don't decipher the strategy of the devil, we will be caught on our ways. As you see, the word goes into different kind of dimensions. A lot of lies being perpetuated, a lot of half-truth being perpetuated. A lot of things that God has said, it's not okay, are now being rebranded and relabeled. 
in order for it to be seem acceptable. But the Bible says the word of God stands sure forever, which means the grass will wither, the, 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 even the earth will fade away. But the word of God, the Bible says, will remain forever. Now, therefore, those who, uh, who has um, made their own lives and, and, and wrapped their own lives with um, the word of God, we overcome different dimensions of trends that might come and go. Trends come and go, but the word of God remains the same. And the Bible says this word of God will still remain standing after everything else in the world has passed away. So today I want to talk to you, how do you overcome deception? But before I go there, let me reiterate the reason why this deception is important to understand that that is a de facto strategy of the devil and this strategy has not changed. And that the greatest deception is a deception that is engineered to steal, quote unquote, steal your identity. Jesus Christ called the devil a murderer, that he has been a murderer from the beginning. And last week I said the word murderer from the beginning is somebody who is sent to kill another person. And when we look in the book of Genesis chapter 3, where the, the devil was first introduced into the old picture, we never saw that the devil carried a gun or the devil um, pulled out a sword to kill Eve. No, but why did Jesus Christ call him a murderer? Because the devil perpetrated a lie that was engineered to steal the identity of our false parent. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 1, the Bible says that the devil was more subtle than all the animals that God has made. And the Bible says, the serpent said to the woman, can it really be that God has said, you shall not eat from any tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees of the garden, except the fruit from the tree, which is in the middle of the garden. God said, you shall not eat from it, nor touch it. Otherwise, you will die. But the serpent said to the woman, you certainly will not die. I covered that last week. Was a blatant disregard for what God said, right? Essentially, the devil said, "What God said doesn't matter. God is lying to you, as it were." But the serpent said, to "The woman, you certainly will not die." Now look at verse five. For God knows that on the day you eat from this tree, <laughs> your eyes will be opened. That is, you will have greater awareness. And you will be like God. You will be like God. I want you to underline that. You will be like God, knowing the difference between good and evil. Now, now, notice that in Genesis chapter 1, when God created human, God said, let us make man in our own image. And after our, after, after what? Our likeness. God already created them like himself. God already made them a God on this earth. The devil said, the reason why God said they should not eat the, from, the, uh, from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil is such that God does not want them to be like him. So, in the bid to become like God, in the bid to become like God because they thought they were not like God, Eve, Eve definitely thought they were not like God. In the bid to be like God, Remember, God comes to them in the cool of the evening to hang out with them. In the bid to be like God, 
they got deceived to eat of a tree that God said, don't eat it. When you eat it from this tree, you are going to die. The devil said, no, you're not going to die. God is lying to you. God definitely knows that the day that you eat out of this tree, you will be like God. But they are already like God. So the devil painted a sense of lack in them. Presented a sense of lack in them. A sense that they are not complete. Right? That there's something missing in their lives. And therefore, if, if they take on this approach, then they will be complete. They will be like God. So you see here, the lie that the devil peddled for them, the great deception that he, the devil engineered was that they are not like God. That there's something missing in their lives. That they don't have what God said they have. That they know who God said they are. So the great deception of the devil is premised on two things. You are not who God says you are. You do not have what God says you do have. And the idea behind the strategy is to make you to what? To doubt God. Is to make you not to trust God. The enemy tries to sabotage our trust in the Lord. The enemy tries to sabotage our trust in the Lord so we don't trust God. The thing is that how could you become vulnerable to a God that you do not trust. How can you follow a God blindly that you do not trust? Think about that carefully. If you are in a relationship with somebody, you are in a relationship with somebody and somebody has, uh, has breached your trust before, it's, it becomes more difficult to trust that person, right? Because of what they've done in the past. You don't, you're not able to become vulnerable to that person as it were, right? Because the They've hurt you before. Now, if somebody were to be able to lie to you, to pay you information about our person that makes you not know to trust them, whether because of character flaw or something that they've said they've done, then all of, all of a sudden what will happen is there will be a chasm between you and the person. You, you, there will not be this freedom to express, freedom to do things uh, the way things ought to be done. So the reason why the devil used this strategy was because it's a strategy that has worked before. It's a strategy that still works today. In Colossians 2, verse 10, the Bible makes us to understand that we are already complete in Christ Jesus. To be complete in Christ Jesus Christ means that God sees us exactly the same way he sees Jesus. In the realm of the Spirit, God sees us like a small God. And God treats us the same way he treats Jesus. But if the devil can get you to think you are not who God says you are. You don't have what God says you, you do have. Then it's got you. So the great deception, people of God, is that thinking process that makes you to think that you are not who God says you are and that you do not have what God says you have. And by not believing and trusting and agreeing with what God says, you are not able to benefit from what God has ordained to be yours. In the book of Philemon, chapter 1, verse 6, the Bible says that the communication of your faith may become effectual by the acknowledging of every good thing that is already in you in Christ Jesus. The Bible says your faith becomes effective. Now, remember, it is faith that overcomes the world. And in this series, we're talking about the good fight, right? Your faith overcomes the world. The Bible says the 
communication of this your faith that allows you to overcome the world the way you express this faith that allows you to overcome the world the way you express this faith is through your acknowledging every good thing that is already in you in christ jesus remember the bible essentially says these good things are already in you in christ jesus the same way just christ said that the devil cannot stand in the truth because the truth is not in him essentially the nature of the devil is a nature of lie it's not the nature of truth i hope you understand that the nature the, the core nature of the devil is lie is falsehood because it's the carnage because it's, it's core nature is falsehood it cannot it cannot just it cannot but express himself in falsehood because that's the nature that he has that is nature genesis chapter 3 verse 1 here the bible says now the serpent was more crafty so to skill in deceit in the amplified version it says the, 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 the serpent was more crafty so to skilled in deceit which means the core of who he is or he, who he was is filled with deception. So he can only express out of the core identity of what he has. Okay. So essentially, identity therefore leads to what we express, what we believe inherently about who we are on the inside of us is how we are going to act out. So therefore, belief trumps action. Identity trumps action what you believe about yourself at the core level we 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 show itself in the way you behave in the actions you take okay so now i haven't said that I haven't said that the devil weaved this deception to cause adam and eve to doubt or not to believe that they already have what god says they have or that they they are who god already said they were god said he has created them he had created them like himself they are of the god kind but the devil said no you are not of the god kind there's something missing in your life and to be able to get that which is missing in your life to be complete you have to do x y and z you have to get into an action where you begin to know what is good and what is not good what is wrong what is not wrong by doing that then you become like god so they bought into a sense of lack they were this they were created complete but they bought into a sense of lack and by buying to a sense of lack they got deceived in the book of Romans chapter 3, verse 23, the Bible says, All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The word sin there is the word amatia. All have gone astray. All have all everyone has gone away from the design and the desire that God has in store for them. The Bible says, All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. All have departed from the way. All have become amatiad. They have gone away from the path which God has chosen for them. All have come short of the glory of God. Because they have sinned, because they have gone into amatia, they have come short of the glory of God. And, and at times when you look at the word glory, the word glory in that same, that same text is the word that means doxa. Doxa means the effulgence of God. But do you also know the other meaning of the word doxa, D-O-X-A, doxa, it means the reality of God. 
the view of God. So the Bible essentially says, all have sinned, all have gone astray and come short of the reality, the truth of God. All have gone into error, yeah, and have come short of the reality, the truth that God presents. So God has a truth. God has his truth that remains constant regardless of fashion, regardless of fads, regardless of what's happening in the world, regardless of kingdoms that may come and go. The truth of God's word remains the same. And that is the truth that God has declared over you. Now, what the devil does in every season, in every age, in every generation is to begin to malign and ridicule and present a half-truth about the word of God so that you can say the word of God does not matter, it doesn't count, it's old school, who cares about it? And when you embrace the thought that says the word of God can be trifled upon or that God does not mean what he meant or God did not say what he said or what God said you you are going to get, you are not going to get it, then you go into error. And that's a great deception. I hope you understand that. So now, how does this then relate to David and Goliath? So I'm going to step into that now. And then I'll step into how you can overcome deception. Now, remember, before we go forward, in the book of Isaiah chapter 44, Isaiah chapter 44 verse 20, the Bible describes an idol as a lie. An idol is a lie. The devil is a liar. An idol is of the devil. I hope you get the correlation. Okay. So when, when Goliath started to curse David by the name of his idol, by the name of his God. He was trying to spin uh, a web of deception around David by the name of a lie. The lie, therefore, therefore, is the God that Goliath was spinning these curses from. Let's go into this. First Samuel chapter 17. First Samuel chapter 17. Hallelujah. First Samuel chapter 17. Uh, verses, um, we'll start for verse 40. The Bible says, David took his staff in his hand, chose five smooth stones from the stream, put them in the pouch of his shepherd's bag, and with his sling in his hand, approached the Philistine. The Philistine in this case is Goliath. Meanwhile, the Philistine, which with his sheet bearer in front of him, kept coming closer to David. He looked David over and saw that he was little more than a boy, glowing with health and handsome, and he despised him. He said to David, Am I a dog that you come at me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. That's it. The Philistine cursed David by his gods. Okay. And what did he curse David? He said, Come here. That's the curse. Come here. And I will give you, I will give your flesh to the birds and the wild animals. So the curse that he pronounced over David by the name of his gods, yeah, was what? I will give your flesh to the birds and the wild animals. That was a curse. That was a curse that he was passing on David by the name of his God. Now remember Isaiah chapter 44 verse 20 says, An idol is nothing but what? A lie. So Goliath now is trying to curse David by the name of a lie. He was speaking words over David that says, I am going to do this. I am going to do that. I am going to do that. And so on and so forth, right? I'm going to kill you. I'm going to do that. It is possible that where you are right now, you have challenges in front of you that is speaking a curse over your life. What kind of curse? That is saying, I am going to defeat you. That is saying, that situation is going to defeat you. That is saying, that debt will not be paid. That is saying, that thing is going to fall apart. That is a curse trying to be spoken over you. But remember, 
It is spoken in the name of a lie. A lie is an idol. An idol is a lie. A lie is of the devil. Devil is the father of lies. So therefore, an idol is of the devil. I hope you understand the correlation. So when somebody speaks a lie over you, that thing is trying to act like the devil in your life to do or to take you captive. The Bible says in John chapter 10 verse 10, the devil comes to steal, kill, and to destroy. Praise God. The devil comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy, which means when the devil comes, when the lie comes, the lie comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. So what do we do about that lie? Let's look at what David did. The Bible here says, David said what? David said, you come against me with sword and with spear and javelin. But I come against you in the name of the Lord, God Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day, the Lord will deliver you into my hands and I will strike you down and cut off your head. This very day, I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds and the wild animals and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. All those gathered here, we know that it's not by sword or by spear that the Lord says, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give all of you into our hands. Hallelujah. Let's take a break there. What did David do? David did not keep quiet. David began to say, I am also coming against you in the name of the Almighty God. The reason why I'm going to win this battle is because I am coming against you in the name of the Almighty God. In the name of the Almighty God. David began to boast in the Lord. David did not keep quiet. So when the challenge comes against you, who do you boast in? You boast in the name of the Lord. Don't boast in your accolades. Don't boast in your strength. Don't boast in your pedigree. Don't boast in things that you know. Boast in the name of the Lord. Hallelujah. Now, notice something wonderful that I want to call out again. Isaiah chapter 54 verse 17. Isaiah 54 verse 17, the Bible says, Behold, no weapon, no weapon formed against you shall prosper. And every tongue that rise against you, every tongue that rise, every tongue that shall rise against you in judgment, passing judgment over you, who shall condemn? You shall condemn. God essentially is saying, I have given you the authority to condemn every single voice. That wants to pass judgment over you. So Goliath was passing judgment. I am going to feed your flesh to the birds of the air. Goliath was passing judgment over David. By the name of, an, of a lie. By the name of an idol. By the name of his God. If David had kept quiet and without speaking. David would not have taken heed to this instruction in the book of Isaiah chapter 54 verse 17. Where God said it is you. It is my responsibility. To condemn every voice that rises up against me. God is not going to do that for you. Why? Because God already judged everything that is judgeable at the cross of Calvary on your behalf. God put to the, to flight the voice of the law that condemns you. God put to flight the, the principalities and powers and, and the devil. The Bible says God the Bible says at the cross, Christ stripped the devil naked of his power. Then number three, every sin, every infraction that could come against you have already been forgiven, past, present, and future. So in the book of Colossians chapter 2, verse 14 to 16, we see three provisions. I can't go in there. We go see three provisions that happen for you on your behalf at the cross of Calvary. Number one, your sins have been forgiven. Anything that could put you in a situation whereby the sins, the voice of sin, amatia, can be coming against you 
has been dealt with that blood by the blood of Jesus. Number two, the law that could judge you. That say you didn't do this, you didn't do that. The Bible says Christ fulfilled that law for you. Christ became became the the one that fulfilled the law on your behalf. Right. Number three, the devil has been defeated, stripped naked. Christ made a public shame, an open shame of the devil at the cross. So you see now, therefore, the devil has no power at all over your life. Zero is age. The same way the devil did not have any power over Adam and Eve in the garden that God placed them. Unless, unless, if there's a way, the devil can cause you to yield the authority that God gave you in Christ. Remember, the devil has been defeated at the cross. Go back to read that Colossians chapter 2. He has been defeated. Com, 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 confirmed. The question now is, if indeed, and I've asked this question myself, if indeed the Bible is true, if indeed God was God's word is true about the devil, that the devil has been defeated at Calvary's hill, completely defeated, how come many smarty were calling the devil, were shouting the devil, were talking about the devil all the time? It's because the devil has tried to make himself as powerful in our minds as God Almighty. But it's not. It's a defeated fool. The, the least in the kingdom of God is higher than the devil in the realm of the spirit. But if he can make you to think that you don't have power, if he can make you to think that you are not who God says you are, if he can make you to think that you don't have what God says you have, if he can spin that web of deception around you and you believe it, then it's going to work against you. I want to share with you a story that will show you the power of what you believe. Show you the power of what you believe. Remember, the devil has been defeated. But if he can spin a web of lie to make you to think he has been defeated and that he has not been defeated, that he still has power over you and you believe this lie, you are going to have a physiological reaction in your body. You're going to have a physiological reaction in your body to the point where you begin to act erratically. You begin to become... uh, destabilized in your position in christ and when you become destabilized in your position in christ you are punching hair as it were you are just shadow boxing and you're not going to get result like that but that's not what god wants you to 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 do so i'm going to be should tell you a story now to further buttress that what you believe in your heart can affect how you react remember i've shared with you before the whole thing with the uh, placebo effect about somebody would somebody two two set of people who got sick one was given the real medicine and the other person was given just a common chalk but was told that this chalk is not chalk it's actually the real medicine and guess what the two of them got exactly almost the same result the people that got the real real medicine and the person that took a placebo got the same result in their physical health because of what they have believed. I shared that with you before, and that's a scientific that is a scientific um, experiment that was done in the in, in the university. And that is, you know, I'm, we're not making this up. This is something that is real. Now I want to show you that beyond a physical heal or a physical reaction in your body, what you believe can also have a physiological and a psychological effect on you to the point where you are receiving results or manifestation in your life that you thought is true but it's not true because is 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 true is true in, in in your experience but it's not true in the reality based on what god has said but it's true in your experience because you have believed a lie you have believed a lie and because you have believed a lie and you function within the lie that you have believed in you have a physical reaction a physiological reaction and you're saying oh it's the devil it's the devil no you have believed a lie 
let me tell you the story and then i will then circle back to the six point step that god showed me on how you can overcome deception are you ready for it okay now i'm going to read this uh, story is from my book that i published a couple of years ago called do you know these things do you know these things you can find it on amazon but i'm going to read a story for you from there now let's go into the text now the following story the following story best illustrates the importance of truth as a principle of life which means what you believe is important what you believe to be the truth is important. Now, the word of God is the truth that never fails. That does not change. It doesn't matter what is going in the world. The word of God remains the same. It doesn't matter how somebody says, oh, this is, this is the new agenda now. You know, um, feminism, LGBT stuff. That's the new agenda now. It doesn't matter what people say. The word of God is the truth that never changes. The following story best illustrates the importance of truth as a principle of life. Suppose you were on your way to the airport. And you decided to turn on your car radio. Booming out of the speaker was a voice of the announcer saying, Fellow citizens, news has reached us that there is an ongoing car robbery going on in area 51 of the motorway. Many are believed to have died from gunshots exchanged at the scene. Motorists planning to take this route are therefore warned to proceed with caution. We will come back with more information as soon as we receive an update. Thank you. Now, suppose that your trip to the airport will definitely pass through Area 51 and that you are only 20 miles or so away from the scene of the robbery with no available exits to turn back. What would be your response to the news you just heard? Chances are that your natural mind may expect the worst and play back scenes that will cause you to be scared, to expect the worst, or to be paralyzed, not to move. If you're like most people, you will experience some sort of physiological change within you. For example, faster heartbeat, panic attack, and so on and so forth, just because you heard this devastating news. And that reaction, people of God, that reaction is a natural reaction when you hear something like that is happening to people that you know, maybe maybe you're in a country, and you hear something that's happening to, to other people in another country and you have family there, this is a natural reaction that you're going to have. There's nothing wrong with that. That's a natural reaction, okay? If that is happening truly, it's a natural reaction, all right? Okay, we're not, we're not bashing that. We're not bashing that. But listen to what this story is going to show you in a moment. While pondering the impact of the news you have just heard, you decided to park your car beside the motorway to weigh out your options. What should you do? Should you just sit it out or perhaps cancel your meeting? You wondered, why pondering on the best possible options? Your thoughts were interrupted by the news anchor's voice again, who said, Apologies. Latest news getting to us has confirmed that a car robbery is actually happening at Area 10 and not at Area 51, as previously communicated. We apologize for any inconvenience caused. Now, let's look at how you're going to react. Now, how will you feel about such news? Will you feel relieved? Will you feel grateful? Will you be ecstatic? If I were you, if you're in the same position, I'll be relieved. I'll be like, oh, thank God. Right? Whatever may have gone through your mind as you picture yourself in this story, one thing is certain. You will experience some sort of physiological changes 
that could affect the decisions you are prone to make. For example, when you had a first news, you might panic, you might sit in one place and not do anything. You might just say, you know, I'm just casual my meeting, I, I, I don't want to come and kill myself. And when you hear the second one, you say, oh, thank God. Even as you begin to proceed to the airport, you might begin to proceed with caution. Essentially, the way you behave in light of the news you heard will, will affect, it will be different based on what you have heard in the natural. So, essentially, based on, 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 an, utter, on an utterly false news, you either react or respond, and whatever choices you make, there will be an outcome. I want to say that again. Depending when you heard the news, whether good or bad, you are going to make take a decision. You're going to act in a particular way. And what when you make take an action in a particular way, there will be consequences. There will be an outcome that you're going to get on the back of the action you take. Do you agree with me? When you act in a particular way, for example, if you start to sit down and cancel your meeting, this is an important meeting. You cancel the meeting and you didn't do anything about it. The customer says, okay, fine, we, we heard, no problem, we, we reschedule. Or it might be that, you know, um, you lose a contract, whatever. You know, I'm, again, I'm talking purely in the natural here, people of God. I'm not talking spiritual stuff. I'm just talking in the natural, okay? Now, let's now look at this same story in a different way. So, so how does this story relate to the truth as a principle of life? Well, if a crucial information that could change your life is presented to you as a truth, but the basis of such information is rooted in falsehood, then, if you regulate your life or decisions by this crucial information, the outcomes you will produce based on these decisions, premised upon falsehood or half-truths, will, will, be, will be below what you desired, even with all best intentions and efforts. I know that's a long-winded statement. What I'm essentially saying is this. If you have a crucial information that could change your life, it's presented to you. But the source of that information is based on half-truth or lie that will make you to make certain decisions. But because you do not know that it's based on half-truth or half-lie, you are making decisions with, with the mindset that what you've heard is the truth, right? But because it's based on falsehood, you are going to get a different result compared to what you are meant to get. And then you, you, you begin to say, ah, but, but this is what I heard. This is the truth that I heard. Not knowing that the, the, what you've heard is based on half-truth, is based on a lie. That is why what we hear, what we make our decisions from, must be based on the word of God that never fails. Must be based on the word of God that never fails. When you encounter in any form of information, any crucial information, ask yourself the question, how does this line up with the word of God? Now, let's look at this. Another thing I want to show you here. There's another twist to the story that I shared with you just now that I think it is worth considering. What if, as you drive towards the airport, you never even bothered to switch on the radio and therefore you never heard about this first news? What would happen to you? The obvious answer is nothing. Nothing will happen to you. You will not need to experience the effect of the news on your physiology. You will not need to experience the palpitation, the, the heartbeat. You don't need to experience the, the, the swing in emotion 
you know, like a yo-yo. You won't have to experience that because you never even heard about it, right? In fact, you could get to the airport without ever knowing anything happened in Area 10 where the robbery took place. You, you didn't know about it. And therefore, the moral of the story is what? What you know is as important as what you don't know. The key to an overcoming life is to check if what you know is the truth or not. Are you exposing yourself to the truth or is it half-truth? Are you feeding your mind on what stretches you or grows you? Or is your mind focused on information that creates fear or anxiety in you? You have probably heard the saying, what you don't know can't hurt you. People of God, I want you to know that what you don't know as it pertains to the truth of God's word can hurt you. If you don't know who you are, you don't know what you have in Christ. You are going to be fed such lies that will affect your physiology, that will make you to make decisions and act in ways that will contradict what God has in store for you. It is absolutely important, and it bears repeating, that you must understand what God has called you, who God has declared you to be, and what God has said you have in Christ. Without a shadow of doubt. You must regulate your life by this. You must ensure that you make decisions by this. Why? Jesus Christ said, sanctify them by your word. Your word is truth. Do you know what that means? Sanctify them by your word. Your word is truth. Sanctify them means keep them apart. Keep them apart. Set them apart by your word. Your word is the truth. What that is saying is this. As the world grows darker, what will set you apart as a believer from the rest of the crowd is the word of God. Why is the word? Why would the word of God set you apart? Because the word of God is the truth that never fails. The Bible says in Second Peter chapter one, I believe verse twenty to twenty-two says, "The grass will wither, but the word of God will abide forever. Will stay the same." People of God, I don't know whether you're getting this. God has given you a strategy about the word to overcome deception. Truth is the only antidote to lies. What truth? The truth of the word of God. The truth of what Christ has done for you. The truth of who you are in Christ. The truth of the finished work of Jesus Christ. If you regulate your life based on the reality, remember the glory of God means the reality, the reality of what Christ has done, the reality of who he has declared you to be, the reality of whose you are and what is already finished at Calvary's heel, then it does not matter the winds of doctrine that blows left, right, and center. You are going to come out always victorious. So, here are the six steps that God gave me that I want to show you. Seven steps. I call them the seven R's of personal transformation. So, I think I've got about six minutes or ten minutes left, right? So, let me see if I can run through this. The seven R's of personal transformation. And I'm going to use this and use an example to then use that to help, Okay. Now, the seven hearts of personal transformation follows this way. Number one, review the lie. Number two, repent the lie. Number three, receive the truth. Number four, reflect on the truth. Number five, replace the lie. Number six, respond to the truth. Number seven, rejoice in the truth. So let's take step number one. Step number one says, review the lie. When you hear a word, any information you hear at all, ask yourself the question, is the source based on truth, based on the word of God? Or is it a half-truth? Or is a lie peddled by the media? 
or the lie peddled by your friends or lie peddled by unbelievers or a lie peddled by people that don't care about God. Review that lie. Here, what you're assessing is, why have you believed a lie? What is the source of this lie? Why did you believe it? I'll give an example as I go through this. Let's say example of somebody who is in between jobs. The person is looking for a good job. There's no job around in the natural. And the person turned to the media in the morning and they said, 7,000 people has been laid, uh, 7, people have been laid off in so-and-so place uh, or company. The inflation is going up and down and so on and so forth. Now, that is true, but it's not the truth. It's true in the sense that, yes, people are losing their jobs. It's true, yes, that inflation is happening. It's true, but it is not your truth. Why? Because the truth is, God shall supply all my needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. I have shared this testimony before and I'm going to share it as just at this point in time. It's really in my heart to share it with you. And I'm going to give you just a summary of it. I've been there before. Four years ago, 2019, we just came back from the Nigeria, came back to the UK. And I was, I was in between roles. My company wasn't doing well. Things were not picking up. My business was not going as well as it should. It should. My wife was the only one working. And I was having this old ego trip. I was so upset in my mind. Like, okay, I can, I can visit a woman that is just feeding me. Again, that's stupid. That's stupid can be. If God gave your wife the opportunity to be able to take care of the family and she's happy to do that, you should respect that. You should thank God for that. Not that it's time to go on, a, on an ego trip. In any case, there I was in Sainsbury and uh, I was talking to a friend of mine. She was just telling me some stuff and all that kind of stuff. And I also had this thought going on my mind. Like, ah, God, what's going on here? And God said to me, son, you are proud. I said, sir, what do you mean? He said, you're proud. I said, what do you mean? He said, because your wife is the only one working and taking care of the family, you have this ego, this, this um, ungrateful attitude in your heart that you're not even grateful for what I've done for you. And I didn't understand it. And God said to me, listen, I can feed you through ravens. And I can feed you through, through the widow. God told me the story of how Elijah was fed by ravens. Elijah made a declaration that there will not be there will be famine in the land for the next three years. There will not be rain at all. There will be drought, and there was so much famine in the land. Elijah got taken care of by God supernaturally. God told Elijah when he was at the brook Cherith. God said to him that God said to the ravens to go and feed Elijah. Elijah was in the, in the brook, at the, by, the, by the brook, and the ravens would go into the brook and bring fish for him. I think in the morning and the night, this guy got fed by ravens. Birds fed him, which means God spoke to ravens to go to the longitude and latitude where Elijah was seated and they fed him without fail. And soon enough, the brook dried up. They God sent Elijah to a widow in Zarephath. God sent Elijah to a widow. Now, here's what God said to me. God said to me, I used two inconsequential things or elements to feed Elijah. I fed him through a bird or through birds and I fed him through a widow. Not just a weed, any widow. It's a widow that had, she had her last meal. She had nothing left. It was through her that God fed Elijah. And God said to me, if I can feed you through the ravens, if I can feed Elijah through the ravens and feed him through the widow that had nothing, 
I can choose to feed you through whichever means I choose. Your job is to be grateful for through the means through which the provision comes. I hope you understand that now. So the truth here, therefore, is instead of accepting the lie that, 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 that the economy is going down, nothing is happening, remember that you belong in the kingdom of heaven. God did not say we are fed based on the economy of the world. No, God said we are fed by the economy of heaven. That is the economy under which we operate. So review that lie. Then repent the lie. Because, because if you have believed in your heart that the only way in which you are going to be sustained and fed and taken care of is based on the economy of the country in which you, you live, based on what your work, your hand can work for, then you have believed a lie. You have believed the lie of the devil that says is you can only get in this life to the essence to which your own hands can work for. People of God, there are resources in Christ all over this world that God can give you access to, that you don't have to work for all of them. Please hear me out. I am not saying and I'm not an advocate of laziness. You should work. The Bible says that does not work, must not eat. I hope you understand that. I'm not saying if somebody could just sit down and say, oh, come and feed me. No, you must work. But do not put your faith and your trust in your work as being the source of your provision. That's essentially what I'm trying to say. Repent the lie. Agree in your heart that the lie that you have believed is wrong and does not define who you are. Does not define where your provision is going to come from. Then what do you then do? Number, number three, receive the truth. Open your heart right now then and begin to believe the truth. What is the truth? The Lord supplies all my needs according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. What is the truth? The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. What is the truth? The Lord is the glory of my life. What is the truth? God will make all grace to abound unto me so that in all things, in every way, I will have more than enough, more sufficiency. Are you hearing what I'm saying? You begin to receive that truth. Now, let's say you receive, you, you take the truth of God supplies all my needs according to riches and glory by Christ Jesus. What do you do? You reflect on that truth. Move it over in your heart. Move it over in your heart. Over and over. Reflect on that truth. What does it mean that the Lord supplies? Supplies me present continuous. The Lord supplies all my need. How does he supply all my need? I don't know how he's going to supply it, but the Lord is the one who supplies. Then you, you allow your mind to go into, into, into realm of heaven and say, in the realm of heaven, is there lack? In the realm of heaven, is there joblessness? In the realm of heaven, is there anything that is, that is called not enough? No. Therefore, if the one who sits, in, who sits and rules the resources of this earth says, is my supplier, it means there will be a continuous flow from God to meet my need. I don't know how, but it might give me an idea. It might give me a way out. It might bring money from different means. It might bring opportunities from different means, but it's going to happen. You begin to reflect on this truth. Then what do you do? Remember, there cannot be vacuum in nature. Nature abhors a vacuum. What do you do? You replace that lie. The lie that you have believed that says, my sustenance comes from the economy of the world, you replace that with what? The truth that says, the Lord supplies all my needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Now, at this point in time, I will ask you to declare with, with boldness, declare with with. with passion say it over and over don't just think about it in your heart now begin to declare that's why we do affirmation over and over and over now after you've done that what do you need to do you respond to the truth what does that mean it means as you begin to as you have pondered and replaced the image of lack with the image of abundance in your heart and you begin to speak it out begin to pay attention ask god and say what is the next thing what must i do 
It might be God says, wait. It might be that God says to you, now, go to that other place and go and apply for it. God will give you an instruction on what the next step will look like. All right? Write it down. Write it down. And the last one is rejoice in the truth. Rejoice now that this thing that you have believed God for, that you have confessed, you have believed in your heart, you are expecting on what God is going to do. You have asked God for the next action that you need to take. Be expectant that God is going to come through. Those are the seven steps that you can use to defeat the deception of the enemy. The deception of the enemy is always based on lies. But if you receive the truth of God's word and you replace it with the lie that the enemy is feeding you, then God is going to, God is going to help you to overcome the lies of the enemy. Remember, the weapons of our warfare, they are not carnal. But they are mighty through God to the pulling down of stronghold. I hope that has been a blessing to you. Now, if you want to use this approach, I've got a book. I've got a book called Fasting Negativity: Forty Days to a Toxic Free Life. You can get it on Amazon, you know. Or if you want the coaching program, there's a coaching program, audio coaching program that I also did. Reach at the church office. Uh, we can we'll package and get you a discount or whatever. You can take that. That will give you a 40-day audio file that takes a different type of lies that we have, we have believed and uses this method to show you how to overcome. Hallelujah. Praise God. Let us pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, I want to thank you for the opportunity to be able to minister to your people today. I pray, Almighty God, that these words that they've learned and the approach that they've learned today, Almighty God, we shift their attention to Jesus. And they will know, Almighty God, that they are already overcomers. Thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you, Almighty God, that someone here today has heard and understood how to fight the good fight of faith, how to pull down strongholds, how to overcome the lies and the deception of the enemy using the truth of the word of God that never fails. Lord, we thank you, Almighty God. Help us to live here, Lord, and be doers of the word. Lord, we give you praise and we thank you. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. All right, until next time, remember, you're blessed and highly favored.